0: Well, good morning. It is great to be here and great to see all of you. That you didn't get blown away on the way to church. Um, also, great to be back at Christ the King, Angela and Rachel. And I look forward to these occasional visits, and I'm just very grateful to David uh, for daring to invite me back. Because I know well that visiting preachers, especially bishops, are a mixed blessing. Uh, I was rector for 30 years and. I had some experiences when I had to clean up rather a lot after the bishop had preached. And uh, I, David, I assure you, I'll be worthy of your trust, or at least I'll try to be, and not leave too much mess for you to clean up. Now David assigned me my title. That shows how little he trusts me. Um, and he said that you have a series on terms of endearment, tender ways the Bible refers to us, and my assigned title is Children of the Father. So let's pray that I can preach to that text and listen to the Lord and help us all follow him more closely. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I bless you for this congregation. I thank you for David and his faithful stewardship of the life of this church. And I pray, Father, now that you would help me be a faithful steward of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was Sunday morning at Church of the Holy Spirit in Lafayette, Louisiana, a church we had the privilege of planting in the 1980s. We rented worship space, of like you, but this time for us it was in a Roman Catholic high school and we had to set everything up every Sunday. Chairs, you know, musical instruments, communion table, everything. And it was kind of hectic. And I was we were through all that and I was standing at the, near the entrance about to begin the service when a woman came up to me she looked a little bedraggled, as did her three children. But that was no, not, nothing out of the ordinary for us as a church, because we were a church that deliberately reached out to the least, the last, and the lost. But her question, however, was a little unusual, and I've never forgotten it. She said, Pastor, when we get to the Our Father, do you mind if I say Our Mother instead? Well, I could tell from her expression that this was no joke but I assumed it was also a rather loaded question. And so I responded with a smile, sure, but don't say it too loud. Well, she smiled back at me and uh, headed for her seat. And I started the service. Afterwards, I made a point of talking to her and discovered, as I'm sure you've guessed, that her relationship with men was far from healthy. She had been abused and abandoned by her own father, and then abused and abandoned by the father of her children, and now struggled to raise them alone under rather desperate circumstances. No surprise that her view of her heavenly father was badly distorted by her experience. And sadly, she's not alone. Our granddaughter Amanda and her husband Blake are foster parents of two delightful girls aged 7 and 11. The two girls have Three siblings and all five children have the same mother, but each one has a different father. They were talking with Tom, Amanda's father, who was married to our daughter, Sarah. hope you got the family straightened out. Uh, they'd never known a man stick around for more than a few months. And Sarah and Tom had been married for more than 30 years. So this was a, a whole new concept for them. Papa Tom, you've been married to Noni for a very long time. Don't you ever get mad at her and want to leave? The 11-year-old asked, sure, Tom answered, lots of times, but I never stopped loving her. When we got married, I promised God I would always love her, no matter what. Now, that was a brand new idea for her, and the conversation continues. But these two little girls, along with millions like them, have no experience of a father who sticks around and who loves them unconditionally so to call them children of the Father requires some clarification who is this father well every week we answer that question as part of our recitation of the Creed we believe in one God the Father the Almighty maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen all true all powerfully and wonderfully true but not exactly helpful when we think relationally. We need something, someone a little more accessible. Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us, asked Philip, the disciple. And Jesus answered, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father dwell, who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, if you want to know what the Father looks or acts like, don't go looking at those Wonderful paintings that depict God as a rather grumpy old man. Perhaps the best example is Michelangelo's famous fresco on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel at the Vatican. It depicts God as a rather dashing-looking elderly gentleman with long curly gray hair in a tunic uh, with a long flowing beard. And he's kind of reaching out to a rather laid back looking Adam. It is spectacular art, no question but not so good theology. And don't go looking at your own father, because she will surely be disappointed. Years ago, we watched that first Focus on the Family video series by Dr. James Dobson. Any of you old enough to remember that? For the very first video series? We watched it. I was impressed. In one of the videos... Dobson described his relationship with his own father, and he was clearly very close and intimate. He talked about some of the many things they did together, the walks in the woods, the endless ball games, and the special conversation that prepared him for adulthood. Dr. Dobson said that all of his teaching on families uh, were were simply lessons learned from his own father, and that's evident uh, in the video. But after watching it, I had a strange mixture of feelings. I was very moved by this very special father-son relationship. But frankly, a bit saddened and rather horrified at my own realization how far I fell short as a father. I don't fish. (laughs) I don't like playing or watching ball games. I know some of you think that's absolutely horrifying. How dare I even stand here? I'm not even quite sure which ball you're talking about when you mention teams. I'm not crazy about walks in the woods. And I never had that special father-son or father-daughter conversation with any of our five children as they approached adulthood because, frankly, they knew more than I did. (laughs) Now, by God's grace, Angela and I have five wonderful children and 12 perfect grandchildren. (laughs) But Heavenly Father, I am not. So what does our Heavenly Father look like? He looks like his son Jesus. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the first one of all creation, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the church in Colossae. In other words, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God acts, look at Jesus. If you want to know God's priorities, study Jesus. If you want to know God's character, examine Jesus. A kindergartner was observing her classroom of children while they were drawing pictures. Occasionally, she would walk around the room to see each child's work. What are you drawing, she asked one little girl, who was working diligently at her desk. The girl replied, I'm drawing God. The teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. The little girl replied, they will in a minute. (laughs) But we do know what God the Father is like. Look at Jesus. And we also know what God's children look like. Look around. In today's lesson, the Apostle Paul reminds us, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, that word Abba is actually from the Aramaic, and it really means Daddy. It's kind of like saying, it's not just a formal language, but it's a very intimate language, Daddy. The Spirit itself bears witness within our spirit that we are children of God. You know, in 1991, uh, we moved to Fairfax, where I had the privilege of serving as rector of Truro Church for 16 years. It was a little overwhelming at first, because Truro was by far the largest congregation that we'd ever served. And frankly, getting to know everybody's name was quite a challenge for me and for the rest of our family. One day, I overheard Rachel uh, introduce herself to a group of people. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm dad's daughter. Everyone smiled. They knew who she was. I thought it was very cute. But then I stopped to think about it and realized just how profound what she had said was. See, she, Rachel, understood her her own identity through her relationship with me, her father. And we would all do well to understand our own identity through our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now imagine how the encounter would go if you were to greet someone and say, hello, I'm David. I'm one of God's sons. That would change the conversation quite a bit. Or hello, I'm Mary. I'm God's beloved daughter. You might try it sometime if you really want to change a cocktail party conversation. (laughs) But it's true. And more than that, we are God's adopted sons and daughters. As mentioned earlier, our granddaughter Amanda and her husband Blake are foster parents with the likelihood that they will adopt these two lively girls into our family. And since it will be our first great-grandchildren, we have followed the process with great interest. One thing we've witnessed is that adoption is very costly, both in terms of time, effort, and emotions. The children arrived with lots of baggage to release, lots of hurt that needed healing. It's also wonderfully satisfying to see the way already in which unconditional love is already transforming them. And the same is true for each one of us. We have been adopted, specially chosen by our Heavenly Father, but we come into the family with lots of baggage. But once we allow the love of our Heavenly Father to work within us, then it's not long before we move from fear to faith, from rejection to acceptance, from alienation to the warm embrace of our Daddy, our Abba, Father. But none of this comes automatically. It is costly. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we might join the family, set free from the ravages of sin. It will also cost us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer that remarkable German Lutheran pastor declared, when Christ calls a man, he calls him come and die. When Christ calls a woman, he calls her to come and die. In his case, in Bonhoeffer's case, it was a literal untimely death. But for all of us, there is a death to our own selfishness, a release of our own control, a willingness to submit our agenda to the one who loves us more than we love ourselves. You know, one of the great blessings of getting older is that we're able to look back and see God's fatherly hand at work in many of the decisions that seemed so costly at the time. You know, when I first acknowledged God's call on my life to leave my corporate career with mobile oil and begin preparation for ordained ministry, I was frankly impressed by the cost that I was paying and I trusted that God also would be impressed that I was giving up a whole bunch, this wonderful high-paying corporate career for the dubious privilege of serving as an ordained minister in the Episcopal Church. I had serious questions whether I would ever again be able to provide sufficient financial support for our own family, and I knew that I would never, ever be able to travel again, something that I really enjoyed. But little did I know that the plan that God had for my life would provide abundantly for all of our needs and give us the opportunity to do ministry and to travel in ways that I could never have ever imagined. Yes, there is a cost, but there is also blessing beyond anything we can ever imagine. You know, During one of our very first mission trips to Africa in, the, in 1980, we met Olga, a Czechoslovakian woman in Arusha, Tanzania. And she had quite a story. Olga had met and married her husband when he was a student in Prague. But when they returned to Tanzania, Olga discovered that her new life was far from the romantic picture that he had painted. He had convinced her he was a prince with all kinds of lands. And when she got back there, she discovered it wasn't true. She found herself living in a mud hut with an alcoholic abusive husband. She became pregnant and suffered through four late-term miscarriages in ghastly hospital conditions. And finally, her fifth child lived, but then Olga contracted some kind of disease and began to go blind. Desperate, alone, Olga seemed to find life utterly hopeless. But along came two New Zealand missionaries. They came to visit and introduced her to her Heavenly Father. And she was born anew. She started coming to church, even though it was a walk of several miles. And when Angela and I met her, we were overwhelmed by her radiant faith. And she said something that I've never forgotten. I was just doing the normal chatting, asking about her family. And she said, well, I've got five children. One is with me, and four are with their Heavenly Father. And I can hardly wait to get to heaven to see how they all turned out. Now that is remarkable thinking. Olga knew the cost of discipleship. She paid it daily. But she also knew the joy of being loved by her Heavenly Father. Now to become a child of our Heavenly Father involves choice. It doesn't happen automatically. Now, I do believe that every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God and therefore deserves to be treated with love and respect. Old or young, black, white, rich, poor, still in the womb or close to death's door, we are all God's handiwork. But not everyone is necessarily a child of God. You see, to be a child of God is to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is to have received the Spirit of God. And that Spirit witnesses within us that we are set free from fear, released from slavery to sin, and welcomed into the family of God. Or to use the language of our Scripture lesson, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now this idea that there is choice involved is quite offensive to many people inside and outside the church. They believe that We're all children of God. We're all by virtue of birth. And that to suggest otherwise is narrow-minded, exclusivistic bigotry. But our text and the consistent witness of Scripture makes it clear that a choice is involved. Listen to the opening words of of John's Gospel. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that most famous passage from the Gospel of John declares, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, to become a child of our Heavenly Father involves a choice. It is a choice that we can make at any age, and it's one that most of us need to renew from time to time, which is why I'm delighted that we have this service of confirmation and reception. And I'm going to encourage every one of you to use this service as a way to renew your choice to accept this gracious invitation. Now, To be a child of God the Father also means that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is perhaps the most amazing claim of all from today's text. It has so many implications that we cannot explore fully, but let me just raise one to look at briefly. As heirs, we get to share in the inheritance. Now, some of you are lawyers, And you know that divvying up inheritance is quite a challenge sometimes. But we have an inheritance that is huge. And we get to share in it. Everything that God owns belongs to us as well. Because we belong to him. Now, this is not something that we deserve or can ever earn. It is because of the amazing grace of God. You know, one of Rachel's favorite musicals is Annie which contains a wonderful illustration of what it means to become an heir of God remember the story I'm sure all of you remember the story when Annie moves from the orphanage to the Warbucks mansion it's an incredible change for her she leaves behind a spiteful abusive caretaker and enters a relationship with a caring father she goes from having no possessions to having a fortune at her disposal The hard-knocked life is overcome by the brightness of a sunny tomorrow. Now, seeing from a Christian perspective, Annie pictures what being a co-heir with Christ means. We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, which is better and bigger than Warburg's ever saw. Or to use the language of Paul's letters to the Ephesians, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God took us, poor orphans in this world, and made us part of His family through faith in Jesus Christ. He has showered us with blessings and promised us an eternal inheritance based on the worthiness of Christ Himself. So there we have it. We have been chosen, adopted as children of God. Political party or sexual preference no longer defines us. Country of origin, ethnicity, educational achievements, or bank balance no longer establishes our worth. We have been joined into a new family. There's one other implication we've got lots of brothers and sisters, some of which we might not have chosen. In fact, most of which we wouldn't have chosen, but it's a global family. It's a wonderful family. And one of my great joys is being able to travel around the world to meet sisters and brothers in all kinds of places. I've got to tell you, we have an amazing family that you are now part of. But it doesn't happen automatically or mechanically. It doesn't come as a result of our academic prowess or spiritual achievement. It is completely by God's grace. We are children of our Heavenly Father and joint heirs with Christ. And this brings both great blessing and great responsibility. And it leads to my final question. When people look at us, can they see the family likeness? Can they see the the character of our Heavenly Father in our character? Can they see the priorities of our Heavenly Father in our choices? Can they see the way he thinks, the people he values, and the way we think, and the people that we value? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for inviting us into your family. Thank you for making it possible to be adopted into this astonishing global family. Help us show your family likeness to the world around us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.